Welcome to Unity of Tucson. Today I want to start with a question that I know I've asked before, and I invite you to reflect on what comes up for you as an answer to this question. And as you find an answer that presents itself, see if there's something behind the answer that either supports it or denies it. The question is this, who do you know yourself to be? Who do you know yourself to be? It's a light question. a thinker. <laughs> Part of the reason that I ask that question is because I think about our mission statement here that is so beautifully also articulated in that song. The third aspect of our mission statement is remember who you are. Remember who you are. Well, in order to remember who you are, you probably need to know who you are. So who do you know yourself to be? I know myself to be an accumulation of all the things that I have experienced in my life and so much more. So much more. Because I am not limited to only the things that I have experienced in my life. Um, I express ministry. I express this philosophy from a particular point of view that is rooted in my own point of view, and that can be challenging sometimes. For me, it can be challenging for other people. And then I think about the manner in which I considered myself, who I knew myself to be for such a long time prior to the experience of my life when I came out of the closet. And yesterday, as we celebrated Pride, it was actually very prevalent in my mind that point of my life, uh, partially because I know I, he, he doesn't know that I'm going to let him know that I, I did not let him know because it's now just coming to me that I'm going to talk about somebody. Um, not a gossip way, um, but my first serious boyfriend in my life was at the Pride Festival yesterday. We're talking from 30 years ago. Now, it sounds like, wow. He and I have remained friends all of this time, too. So it's not like I was surprised that he was there. I mean, I, I knew he was going to be there. But that period of my life has actually come up quite a bit in, in, in considering who I am and how I choose to be and how I choose to express. And I think about the period prior to um, June 23, 1991, which is the day that I, that's the date that I always look to as my official coming out. And prior to that date, I was not authentically myself, and yet I was authentically myself. A couple of years ago, there was a tweet by a queer writer named Alexander Leon, and it reads like this. Can you bring up the slide? Queer people don't grow up as ourselves. 
we grow up playing a version of ourselves that sacrifices authenticity to minimize humiliation and prejudice. The massive task of our adult lives is to unpick which parts of ourselves are truly us and which parts we've created to protect us. As I think about that, because it resonates with me very deeply, this was part of my experience. I grew up as a version of myself that sacrificed my own authenticity to minimize humiliation and prejudice. But as I think about that, I think in some way, it's a universal experience. It's not just limited to that community. It's a universal experience. In what way were we encouraged in our upbringing to play a version of ourselves so that we could hide the authentic self because we lived in fear of the judgment that might be placed upon us by other people? I think that's something that we can all resonate with. People in this particular community to which I belong, we don't, you know, we don't hold the corner on that market by any stretch. And so I think it also becomes a question, what aspect of you have you hidden away? What version of yourself might you still be playing? Because I still play versions of myself. This is not limited to just my upbringing and only prior to the time that I came out. This still has resonance and experience in my life because I am in a constant state of always having to make the decision, do I let people in on my authentic self or not? We all do that. We all do that. Do I let people see the authentic me or not? Is this a safe space to be authentically me or not? So, we go to the Pride Festival, we represent at the Pride Festival, Unity has a booth at the Pride Festival, and we have a good old party, right? And remembering that that party was born out of rebellion, it was born out of rebellion, I never want that to be lost. Um, and some people may be going, well, why is Pride now? It's October, I thought Pride was in June. And the answer is yes, it's in June, but it's too darn hot for Tucson to celebrate Pride in June, so they moved it to October. Now, that particular date, June 23rd, 1991, Pride was still being celebrated here in Tucson in the summer. And I remember going out to Hippie Hill in Himmel Park and thinking, wow, I've arrived. <laughs> Pride began as rebellion, though. It began with a riot. Uh, in 1969, in June of 1969, um, when the Stonewall Inn, which was a tavern in Greenwich Village, New York, was raided by the police, essentially for the, upteen, the, uh, the upteenth time, and they were done. They were done. You ever get so fed up, you're like, I am done. And so the story goes that... Uh, a transgender woman, Marsha P. Johnson, picked up a brick and threw it at the cops. It's all, who knows who actually threw the first brick. Nobody really knows, but that's the story, so we're going to hold on to it. It was born out of rebellion when people could say, finally, 
I am not going to play a version of myself any longer that minimalizes humiliation and prejudice in my life. I'm not going to do it anymore. And so that is how the gay rights movement, that's what is looked at as the turning point to develop the gay rights movement in this country. In 1991, when I came out and went to Pride at Himmel Park on Hippie Hill, and it was like, wow, there are like a couple hundred people here. That's super exciting. I didn't know that there were this many gay people in the world. <laughs> I, was a, I was an avid journaler at the time, and this is what I wrote in my journal in relationship to that day. I felt for what could be the first time in my life so accepted by all these people around whom I could be myself. The feeling I have is truly indescribable. It must be what freedom feels like. I was 18 years old. I was 18 years old. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I could breathe. I felt like I could relax. A couple weeks later, I finally came out to my dad. <laughs> That's a whole other story I'm not going to tell you today. I felt like I could breathe upon that experience in my life. And it's similar to my finding the new thought philosophy. That when I found new thought, I found my tribe, I found my community, and I felt once again like I could breathe. Because prior to New Thought, I kept building up some of those resistances, if that's a word. I kept building up resistance in my experience, in my life, and you know what I believed about life prior to my introduction and, and, and decision, and it is a decision, the decision to adopt a New Thought philosophy in my, and as my experience, my previous thought was, life is something to get through so I can get to the good stuff. I think many of us live or have lived at some point with that idea. Life is something to get through so I can get to the good stuff, i.e. heaven. You know, because that's, that's the ultimate. I'm going to get to heaven. And this is the new thought. That's why we're new thought. New thought offers this. My life is what I make of it when I know who I am. And the making of it for me equals absolute freedom that heaven is a state of mind, I'm not going to get to heaven. I decide to live heaven right here and right now. That's the good stuff. I don't have to wait for it. Are any of us, and this is a rhetorical question, are any of us still waiting for the good stuff? Like, oh, life is so hard. When is it going to get easier? You know when it gets easier, you're not going to like this answer. <laughs> Do you know when it gets easier? when you make a decision that life must be easier and you live the construct of that frame of mind so thoroughly that anything contrary to it no longer fits in your experience. And so it begins to drift away. It begins to melt away. And as I always say, it's work. I know it's work, but it can be joyful work because that's how I'm going to phrase it now. It can be joyful work. It doesn't have to be hardship. And the work continues to be work until it's not. I'm not going to you today, William. Sorry. 
the work continues to be work until it's not, because then we have habitualized a new way of being, a new frame of mind, and life is always the good stuff. And then you find some of the stuff that counteracts that, and you say, oh, well, now there's this other part of my life that I get to work on, and I work on that until I habitualize a new frame of being there, and like, oh, well, then look over here. There's this other part of my life that maybe isn't working so well, and so I'm now going to work on that, and it continues to be work. But I can decide for the work to be joyful. I can decide to live absolute freedom right here and right now. Right in this moment. Would you bring up the next slide? Free yourself forever from the thought that God may be pleased by a life of sacrifice. That the world is any better because of your misery or that righteousness is more perfectly expressed through poverty than abundance. Free yourself forever from that construct in mind. You are the presence of divine power, love, God. I don't care what you call it. I don't care what you call it. That is who you are. That is your divine presence. So what, to what degree are you living it with abandon? That's my question. To what degree are you living it with abandon? <laughs> The sound guys hate when I do that because then it blows against the microphone. It's not a very pleasant sound. <laughs> I invite us all to come out. To come out as the authentic spiritual beings that we are, live life with abandon and not care what anybody else thinks. Because you know what? What other people think is none of your business and it says more about who they are than about who you are. But here's the thing, and so it is, my tattoo, and so it is. Here's the thing, coming out is actually an inaccurate statement. Did you know that? Coming out is an inaccurate statement. statement. Because what happens when we say someone has come out to you is they haven't come out to you at all. They are letting you in. Are you willing to let people into your authentic nature to express, express your authentic self to such a degree that it doesn't matter what they say? You're letting them into your life. I don't have to come out to do anything or to please you or to say anything to you. I live my authentic life so magnificently, even in the hardship, I live my authentic life so magnificently that I choose who I let in and who I don't let in. So I think we need to stop saying that it's a coming out. It is a letting in. Yes. It is a letting in. In every moment we are all, this fan, I'm telling you. <laughs> in every moment we are making decisions to, about the degree to which we are allowing, we are allowing others into our uh, authenticity. Why, why, why should being our authentic selves be so controversial? Because we decide for them to be controversial and we start to make up stories in our mind about how we will not be accepted. As we live those stories, we will never, ever give them up. That's a thing to know. We never actually give up those past stories.
We crowd them out with respect to having importance in our lives, but we never give them up. We only rewrite them and release the grip that they hold over us from the past. It's okay. It's okay. But here's the other thing about the stories we make up. Because I think we oftentimes focus on, oh, those stories we make up, they're such bad stories. I don't want to have those stories anymore. Well, here's the thing about the stories we make up. There are also good stories. There are also good stories. So hold on to the stories that work. Hold on to the stories that work, because they are the things that are actually allowing you to express your individualized color on the magnificent spectrum that is life, that is God, that is love. It makes up the whole of us. You are the spectrum of God. Each of us is a facet in the infinite creative source. And we can choose to live in great experiences. And we can choose to live more lifely because of that choice. Did that make sense? Good, because all of a sudden I realized I was saying something and I was like ahead of myself in saying it than where my mind was. Does that ever happen to you? So sometimes things come out and it's, it's hi. Um, <laughs> we are each and every one of us a facet of the creative source. I've talked about the stained glass window in the past. And, and, I, and I, love, I love stained glass. And oh my gosh, when I was in Paris, and um, oh, I can't even think of the name of it anymore. Saint-Chapelle, Saint-Chapelle. Going into Saint-Chapelle and, and, and like being surrounded by all of that magnificent stained glass. If you've ever been there, it's an extraordinary experience. I love stained glass. Imagine that each and every one of us is one of these little panels. Imagine you are one of those little panels. If I took the panel out, it would be incomplete, and so would that panel. It requires all of us to allow that beauty. It requires all of us to allow that beauty. As we awaken to our inherent unity with universal good, here's the thing, notions of evil, sin, illness, restriction, and even mortality fade away when we understand that we are part of the infinite wholeness, that we represent the infinite wholeness. Light itself is the wholeness of the visible spectrum. The aspects of the spectrum are all contained within light. And each color of the spectrum can be considered an individualized expression. I changed the light up here today to have our rainbow flag a little bit more, um, because that's really what I want to get to today. Each color of the spectrum is an individualized aspect of the whole, and without all of them, pure light doesn't exist. It requires all of it. It requires all of it. In Christian scripture, we are invited in the Sermon on the Mount to shine our light, to shine our light. Jesus said this, no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lamp, lamp stand, and it gives light 
in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, I want to clarify something here because people may go, in unity, well, Father in heaven, Father is, God is not outside the self, and that is true. The Father in heaven is the infinite, immutable omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, the wholeness from which we spring forth. So when he says, give glory to your Father in heaven, he is saying, give glory to that which is inherently who you are, because as Jesus also said, the Father and I are one, and he meant that for every single one of us. We are not separate from that construct. He was not separating himself. He was saying, know who you are, remember who you are, and shine your light so that others may see your good works. Today, I call upon, any, I call upon all of us to let go of any way in which we might sacrifice our own authenticity. I call upon all of us to shine our light brightly. Stand resolved with me today by being proud and being part of the universal spectrum. Peace and blessings. You are magnificent. Not yet. Thank you. So the homework this week, if you are new to our community, I give homework every week, and it is an opportunity to put the philosophy into practice, because without making it practical in our lives, it's just an idea. And so I encourage you to put the idea to use into practice. So this week, shine your light. Shine your light. Illuminate the spectrum. And I would like you to do this in three steps. Number one, I would like us all to commit to a deeper practice of prayer this week, perhaps than you have ever expressed before. If you think you can't pray, try. But here's the thing I'm going to really encourage in the practice of prayer, because this is fundamental to the way we teach prayer in the New Thought Movement, in unity. Pray from the sense of your own divine identity. We are not praying to God, we are praying as God. We are not praying to the Spirit, we are praying as the Spirit. We are letting our desire be known by stating it rather than asking for it. Pray from the consciousness of the divine. Let that prayer lead you into step two, which is action. As your prayer is answered, find a way to be a deliberate source of goodness in someone else's life. Find a way to be a deliberate source of goodness in someone else's life. And I also would like us to all take to heart step three of the homework this week. I know it's a lot. Step three of the homework this week is this. Challenge yourself. Try something new this week, and let it fuel your inner light that it may shine outwardly brighter than it may have ever shined before. Only you know what that will be for you, so be an explorer this week. Hi, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.